This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by listeners like you. Thanks for using The Tome's Amazon and DMs Guild affiliate links and for becoming patrons at patreon.com slash the tome show. Stay right there, let me answer your questions. I'll clear up all your misconceptions. You don't dress up to play D&D. You don't dress up to play D&D. You don't dress Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interviews show, and I'm your tome host, Jeff Greiner. And in this episode, number 314, we are going to tap into the power of the land to cast mighty spells for our guilds as we review the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. You may notice that Tracy is not with me at the moment. She had a work thing come up and had to do that. But I still have a full house of wonderful guests. So first up joining us in this episode is the Tome Show's social media manager and one of the creatives over at Fat Goblin Games. Welcome back, Ishmael Alvarez. Hello. And also with us is the Tome Show's monster specialist from the Monstrous Ecologist, Jeremiah McCoy. Welcome back, sir. Greetings and salutations. I think I just chatted with you last week. In fact, I talked to Ishmael last week, too. <laughs> yes. We brought half Certain that panel day. back. Certainly uh, a sense of deja vu. Yeah, a little bit. All right. And also with us is our, our resident expert in all things Magic the Gathering, who also has a pretty darn deep knowledge of D&D. Welcome back, Quinn Murphy. Hello. It is good. This is good to have you here as always. And lastly, our newcomer to the show, although you may be familiar with his work, as he has been doing a lot of the editing work for the World Tree Burns podcast edition that we've been putting out here. Uh, he's also a podcaster in his own right. Everybody, welcome Neil Powell. Hey, how's it going? For the first time in person. Yes. We've been listening to your efforts for, for months now, but now we have you here. Yeah, hope, hopefully I can uh, meet the challenge. I'm sure you are up to it. All right. So we are talking about the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. Wizards of the Coast has been publishing free PDFs uh, that sort of support using various uh, worlds and settings uh, from Magic the Gathering for a while now. Pretty much ever since... Uh, um, What's his name? James Wyatt switched over from D&D to Magic. He's been doing a lot of these things. Um, but this is the first time they've decided this is a a world of Magic that is popular, really popular. Um, arguably one of the most popular uh, worlds and settings of Magic. And so this is the first time they decided, well, let's do a hardcover publication and, and uh, really flesh it out and go, and go full bore on it. And so that is the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. Uh, In full disclosure, I want to let everybody know that I am working from a review copy. Uh, I assume everybody else paid for theirs? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. So I am the only... Who said no? I did. Neil. Okay. So Neil also is working from a review copy? Mm -hmm. From D&D Beyond. From Um, D&D Beyond. Because I... Long story short, I went to D&D in a castle last year and have some crazy account where all the stuff keeps showing up. Excellent. Very good. Um, I, I actually have a, a similar account because they gave it to me as a reviewer because I was reviewing um, I rev- did a big episode reviewing D&D Beyond so I guess I have two review copies if you count it that way so so just uh, just to be clear Neil and I are the only ones who are tainted 
Yeah, I have two copies, but I paid for both of them. They, so yeah, there you I, go. I have I have a copy, uh, and the uh, maps and miscellany, and and a uh, roll twenty copy. Okay. Um, so so I'm, I'm I'm into it. So I mean, I guess this is sort of uh, already sort of tells uh, where I feel about it that I have these multiple formats of it. But absolutely. Uh, so before we get into the actual book itself, it might be useful in this case since this is a crossover um, product connecting D and D and Magic the Gathering. Um, it might be worthwhile recognizing who has what sort of experiences with magic as that is a whole different area. Like you can probably assume any guest that's on here has a deep knowledge of D and D, but magic is a whole different thing. So, um, let's go down the line and everybody can sort of tell your story. What, how much experience do you have with magic? And let's start with Neil. Um, very, very little. And I think that's what drew me to the product initially is not having that and seeing kind of what that marriage of the two kind of looked like. Okay. Uh, Jeremiah. Uh, I encountered, uh, magic in alpha days, early days, cause I was on the convention circuit and it sort of popped up there. And I was really into it for a few years, and then I dropped off, and then I would pick it back up, and I would drop off. And in the past few years, I have uh, been back into it. Uh, my work schedule has changed, so I can't go to Friday Night Magic anymore. But while I was able to, I was I was there regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a, uh, a not encyclopedic knowledge of, of magic lore, but I like the magic lore enough that I have made a point of going and reading stuff that I missed on the times that I was away from magic. Okay. So you're familiar with not just magic, but Ravnica as well. Yeah. Somewhat, uh, uh somewhat familiar with Ravnica before the set came out. I've mm-hmm. played in the new set. Um, so, you know, right on. And see, I thought I was going to be all impressive when I tell people that I started getting into magic during the beta <laughs> days, but here you got to show up with alpha. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Quinn. What's your story? Your history with Magic and Ravnica? Um, so uh, with Magic, um, I didn't really play it uh, in the Alpha and Beta. By the time I got it, it was revised. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I've been playing like uh, a lot um, here and there. Um, you know, I've uh, been involved uh, Magic off and on since then. Um, uh, come back. I- I've always been interested in. Um, um, you know, uh, sort of the strategy of the game and sort of um, the competitive side. While not like I'm not a tournament grinder, I, I really kind of just like the um, I get into sort of how um, how the sort of pro tour and the highly competitive stuff sort of informs like the design of the game and the different strategy there. I'm, I would be um, what we would generously call a bit of a brewer. I like I like deck design a lot, um, and um, I uh, have uh, been, uh, of course, like really um, excited uh, about the uh, the latest Ravnica set, uh, uh, Ravnica uh, Guilds of Ravnica, um, yeah, and uh, also um, oh yeah, there's that thing I've been writing for uh, Wizards um, for. Um, uh, magic, um, doing like uh, previews, um, some um, you know um, strategy deck building uh, articles, like a lot of uh, actually a lot of different things. Um, 
uh, for our last two-ish, two, three years. I was going to say, if you go um, through your whole spiel and don't talk about the fact that you write yeah. about magic for wizards. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, got, I, 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 I can be Captain Downplay sometimes, yeah. I guess. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, that, that was the sort of story. I figured I'd wind into that. Yeah, I um, introduced but, you as our expert. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. I, I, th- I think they call that burying the lead. The lead, yeah. <laughs> I, I like to think of it as building suspense. There you go. There okay, you go. fair enough. <laughs> he, he's, um, he's bringing us on a story. Yes. I was a, I was a, it was a demure subterfuge. <laughs> uh, indeed. So, uh, yeah. Um, so, and, and I am, I am been super excited about um, this supplement. Uh, okay. for, exactly for the fact that it merges these two. Uh, like uh, my, my, my chocolate and peanut butter. Um, mm-hmm. uh, D&D and magic. So. Excellent. So, Ishmael, what's your history with magic and Ravnica? Well, uh, I started playing Magic back in the Ice Age. That's not not an old man joke, but you could construe it that way. Sure. Uh, but the Ice Age set is where mm-hmm. I started playing back. Uh, I can't remember the year, like in the mid-90s. Before I even started playing D&D, uh, and then through the people I was playing Magic with, they introduced, they introduced me to D&D and, and uh, the rest, in a sense of the word, is history. Uh, but I actually got into Magic uh, way back when, but not as way back when as some of you guys. Um, came out and just stopped playing Magic for a while, and I've been kind of going back and forth, but I'm actually not as familiar with uh, Ravnica. Um, I'm more like Mirrodin, um, you know, Weatherlight, some of those other sets. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, and then and then my own sort of history with Magic, like I had alluded to earlier, uh, I originally bought Magic cards when they were in beta. I saw I saw them in an ad in the old Westin Games newspaper print catalog uh, when I was a youngin, and I said, "Hey, this looks interesting." I have no idea what it is. I didn't realize it was a collectible thing. I'm just like, "This sounds interesting. Let's buy some of that." And so I bought a bunch of the, a bunch of what ended up being beta cards. Uh, played around with it a bit with my, for myself for, for a little bit. Played a little bit with some other people, um, and then then it really sort of blew up, and all my friends started buying it. So I started, I you know, bought more and more, and added and added to the collection. Uh, and then I got to a point where I'm in you know junior high, and I realized that whoever wins is the person that sp- spent the most money on their deck. Uh, and at that point, I said, you know what? Fine, I'm out. Uh, and I stopped playing. And one of the guys that was really into it that I was playing with is like, hey you're sick of magic. I've got all this D and D stuff. We don't play anymore. If you give me your entire box of magic cards, I will give you this big trunk of D and D stuff going back, you know, mostly second edition stuff, but there's a few first edition things and stuff in there. And, uh, and that sort of wrote the, the story of my, of my, uh, you know, hobbies. Right. So um, I gave up magic and moved to D and D. And I think, while financially that may not have been the the wisest choice, it has certainly provided me uh, hours and hours of joy that I am I'm pleased with. So was, so I have no history that, with Ravnica. That was that was a, that was a real hobby transition. It was, and and that mm-hmm. was in the day when Magic and and D and D were not in the same company. That's mm-hmm. true. I remember actually running into the Wizards of the Coast people at a convention and laughing. At the notion that they were, uh, some of them were saying, "Yeah, we're going to be the next TSR," and I laughed at them. <laughs> a, year, a year later, <laughs> then they bought TSR. <laughs> yeah, a year later when they bought TSR, I was like, "Huh." All right, you win. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's when you get. That's when you get an email back with like recorded laughter. Yeah. <laughs> 
Just as subjects said, who laughs last? No. All right, all right. So, since Ishmael was just uh, talking last, let's go ahead and have you tell us what is the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica all about? What is this book? So, the Guildmaster's Guide to Ravnica. Oh, that wasn't uh, Ishmael talking before, was it? (laughs) Or. Yeah, maybe I'm, it I'm was. Just but gonna run with but it. go ahead, that's fine. <laughs> yes, the Guildmaster's Guide of Rav- to Ravnica um, is basically a setting book for Ravnica for use in Dungeons and Drag- Dragons, uh, and it gives you um, most, if not nearly, all the information you need to run a campaign in Ravnica, uh, with a hyper-heavy focus on the guilds. There are ten of them mm-hmm. uh, that represent. So there's five colors in Magic, and each guild represents like a combination of the colors um and uh th- that's kind of the central conceit of the setting is that the guilds or even just uh being guildless is like a real central thematic mm-hmm. uh, point and so whether or not you're with a guild which guild you're with what you're doing for the guilds uh, tends to be a pretty uh pretty big deal um and they've managed to do that pretty well in this book i would say okay yeah and um I think you're. I think you're right. Although you mentioned that the guilds all represent sort of different combinations of the the five different colors of mana in Magic, but mm-hmm. they made a conscious decision that the the idea of the colors and the lands that are associated with that are not mentioned anywhere in the book at all. It's an iconic piece of Magic. Uh, this mm-hmm. idea of the colors and the lands, uh, but it doesn't make any appearance here at all. What do we think about that? Uh. uh I, I would say that it is good because the, so, uh, you know, I don't know, spoiler alert, um, there's like no talk of planeswalkers here. The the lands of magic only actually really matter to planeswalkers. Mm-hmm. And so this is like the actual plane book. Um, I mean, I, I hope at some point they're going to make a few of these and then we'll talk about like planeswalker stuff, but there's no no mention of any stuff that's relevant to the actual meta. Like, like you could see um, the way they're sort of building it here, sort of the game of magic is a thing that sort of encompasses the outside of this, of sort of the setting of Ravnica, mm. which can then be encompassed in D and D, right? Cause no one, no one in Ravnica really cares about the land magic that way, unless I mean, they're, a planeswalker. I see. Really. And th- there's a little bit of hint of the existence of plane wa- planeswalkers, particularly right. through the Living Guild Pact, uh, who is a planeswalker. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's never there anyway, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> you know, so, right. well, so they don't go a lot the, into it. He's not the only one that shows up. Uh, Gideon Jura gets mentioned in the adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there are some other little nods here and there. Um, I... While I I think it is a good thing that they left out the lands, I do think that their sort of aversion to putting anything about uh, Planeswalkers might be one of my only negatives to the mm. to the book. Mm. Not because I yeah you know, I think not because I wanted necessarily to be playing them, but fiction forms our expectations of a fantasy world. Right, you read the the novels Forgotten Realms, and it t- sets a lot of your expectations of what the Forgotten Realms are going to be like. Dragonlance, same thing. There is a story to magic, and there is a story to Ravnica, and planeswalkers have been a huge part of that story. Mm-hmm. So, 
not having something to be, you know, like, this is how you deal with having these, uh, you know, these NPCs in the world or things, you know, multidimensional story elements that come in because it is a big part of the fiction, I think is maybe a, an oversight. I love the book, mind you. I, I, I adore it. But that is the one negative I could probably bring up. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, mean, uh, I, I would, I would, I would definitely plus one that um, a bit. I, it was um, uh, again. I similarly adore the book, uh, but it feels a little. I, I feel one of the the one downside of the book is. Um, you know, especially from the intro, um, is it kind of in trying to be a separate thing, I feel like the beer is a little too hard, but like, but doesn't give enough hooks for people who don't know a lot of the setting from the, from the start of it. Right. Like I felt like the kind of, you know, the intro and stuff was a little light with that and that, and that they don't mention really, you know, other than like a little blip uh you know jace is a planeswalker blah blah, blah and carrying on mm-hmm. right it was like wait wait what's the plan like uh, J- the the sentence literally jace is a place and plane planeswalker with the ability to travel from world to world you know and his attention is not focused on ravnica and then it just moves on but it's like if you didn't know magic this guy who can like traverse planes seems super freaking interesting but we don't know anything about it right I agree. I agree. And I am one of the people who knows just a real cursory amount of of the lore of magic. And this book left me thinking, man, there's like there's a whole story and they left it out. Like, I don't know what the story of the world is in, in a lot of ways. Uh, and that's where my adventures would come from. So I, de- I definitely felt some of what you're talking about. And and we'll t- get to it in a little bit when we get to that chapter. Um but but I felt some frustration with that as well. So, mm-hmm. if if I could add, um, I remember the old arena uh, novel for Magic: The Gathering a mm-hmm. long time ago, mm-hmm. and at the time it was like, oh wow, this is so cool. And then as I got a little bit older, I'm like, boy, that's so corny how they shoehorned <laughs> all this like mana and color stuff. <laughs> yeah, like it was a little contrived. And so I think maybe they were trying to veer away from it. Maybe they veered a little too far, but. That was my sense. Yeah, I don't have a problem that, with them veering away from the colors. Um, I mean, I guess you could acknowledge that that magic of the world comes from the the you know the different energies of the land and whatever without really making a system around it. Um, mm-hmm. But I mean, the magic system of magic and the magic system of D anD D don't don't work well together, right? They're, they're very different things. So, yes. so I, I, I wouldn't want them to like mechanically shoehorn um, the different colors of, of mana into it. So I, I'm okay with the way they handled it. Although knowing as much about magic as I know, it would have been nice to at least see acknowledgement that this is a, you know, just like with the, they say magic in the forgotten realms comes from the weave and that's really all you need. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. They, they could have acknowledged, you know, the magic comes from the energy of, of the land itself or whatever. Uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and say it. They don't have Vraska in here. That bugged me. Okay. I have no idea what yeah. that is. <laughs> Vraska is one of the, the major, she's a major, um, 
uh, one of the major players. Uh, she's actually a head of um, the Golgari Guild now. Yeah. Right. Um, she, yeah. Sorry. She's oh. the. Uh, she is the leader of the Medusas in the Golgari Guild. Okay. She's also a planeswalker, which is why she's not in here. But she's super fascinating and an interesting character. Mm-hmm. And they didn't have her in here, and it bugged me. So, so tangentially, you've brought up one of my biggest questions, like since this book was announced, um, because there's a certain element of this conversation that I, I don't, I don't understand. I don't get it. Right. So here it is. Right. They talk about how everybody's really, the magic people really love this setting. Like the lore and the story of the setting is really engaging and interesting and whatever. And I, I don't understand why (laughs) like it's a card game and you're not really getting a narrative from the little descriptions on the cards so where is all this lore coming from that people love so much like how do you how do you have this this fascination with ravnica as a world uh just from from the little descriptions on cards so uh, uh, quinn's probably a bit more uh, equipped to, to speak on this i will say from my standpoint I have read the all the stories that they've posted on the Wizards website, which they they post a lot of them. Okay. Uh, and there are many novels worth of of information just mm-hmm. on the website. Plus, they had a whole uh, several series of novels, plus a, a, a series of comics, mm-hmm. and uh, the the game itself tells a story. If you know the backstory, you can sort of see the story in the cards. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. They, they use, um, they, so like they do a great job now on the site. Like before I was like, you had to like, if you didn't want to go read all the novels and stuff, it was like kind of hard to like go, you know, like you'd have to go buy extra novels to go read the stuff, but they provide so much of like, you know, like good stories by, you know, uh, like, like, you know, great writers and stuff, um, that are in like digestible kind of format for basically free. Right. Like lore is like, easier to get on the game than ever. Um, And then, and then, and then a lot of times it's funny. It's like a lot of times the art on the cards is actually telling a ton of story. Like, you know, they're putting specific elements on there. And um, I I call it sort of like uh, sort of, it's like the dark school, uh, dark schools, dark souls school of uh, story design, right. Uh, Without sort of requiring everyone to have played this, like dark souls has, tells you almost no narrative, right? Um, but then every item you get has like a little like description um, with like either a lot or no context, right? But then when you go through and get all the items and see all the things in the world, when you put them together sort of in aggregate, you get a clear picture of like what happened here. What? Wait, hold on. What, you know, this item says it's from this, but then this item says thing happened, right? And you sort of piece together that history and then combine that with the lore um, is sort of emergent in a lot of all these little pieces. And sometimes it's like mechanics um, are sort of emphasizing the action um, that goes through and, and things like that. So for, for, through all my pre-internet days of playing Magic, I never realized that there was a fiction component to the game. So, mm-hmm. okay. The, the early game didn't so much have that. I mean, there were some novels back in the day that, I, that I've that i read, well, but yeah. <clears throat> but like the first couple of sets, mm-hmm. most of the references were from Richard Garfield's D&D <clears throat> game at home. Right. 
Uh, and then it evolved from there into its own story and its own world. And then they got, you know, more yeah. serious about it. But the early game, it was like, so early game, you were the planeswalker. Right. And then somewhere along the way, they they separated that out and said, no, the planeswalkers are recognizable characters in this metaverse. Right. And now you can summon them and whatever. Right. Yeah. And they show up and help you. My son plays Magic, so I'm a little bit familiar with how it currently plays, because I've played a few hands with him, but yeah. Okay. I was just curious, because like I said, you know, my earlier experience with Magic, there, I, I wasn't aware of any larger story or lore, and the game plays the exact same, whether you know it or not, right? Um, so I was just curious, because, you know, how could people be so enamored with this setting if it's a, if all they're getting is the cards? But it's, it sounds like it's oh, way more I than the cards. I'd also be um, remiss if I uh, failed to mention one of the last one of the things they started doing over the last couple of years is making these incredible like art and history books for oh, the yeah. settings. Oh, they're like they're like get you one right? Like they're they're beautiful, um, you know, for like Ixalan, the Innistrad. Mm -hmm. um, do they have one for Ravnica? I, have, I haven't seen it. I might it, it. The Ravnica one hasn't come out yet, oh. but uh, they did have Dominaria and it was yeah. gorgeous. Oh, yeah. Like they're, they're the beautiful, like beautiful art, but then they give you a lot of history of the people and all that stuff. I mean, basically enough on any, any of those that you can sort of use them as like very loose kind of setting books right. and like a lot of people do. Plus, there are PDFs uh, for the mechanics that James Wyatt put out for free that, right. that convert a lot exactly. of those settings. So there you go. And, okay. And, and he released those to coincide with the release of the art books. Correct. Yeah, I right. get that. Okay, so let's dig into the actual contents of the book. Because so far, all we've done is sort of talk around it, right? Um, so it opens up with just sort of, they don't call it chapter one. It's just, it's the welcome to Ravnica section, but it's, mm -hmm. it's what, three, four pages on, on sort of the, the background of what is this place? How does, you know, currency work? What's the, you know, languages and the civilization and the culture like a little bit and all that kind of stuff. Right. That's where you get mm -hmm. information about the living guild pact and some of the history mm -hmm. of how that came about and all of that. Um, so does anybody have any quick thoughts on the introduction? No? Okay. I'll jump in real quick. I, I, I think I mentioned... Um, so, again, I love the book. I'm going, I'm, going, I'm going to spend a lot of time saying like, great things about this book, but I have to say like, this was, like, to, to me, the weakest part of the book um, in terms of, like, I feel like the opening of a setting is uh, where you sort of get people like sort of get people hyped and sort of uh, it, sort of into and like, like kind of with a high level sort of pitch of the setting um, immediately. And, and I feel like for, for me, like for, for me, I, I know Ravnica, right. Mm -hmm. So I'm just sort of, okay, cool. Right. Like, you know, and I, and I like, you know, they, they explain everything there, but they sort of just kind of arrange things that I already knew. Right. But if I, I try, I, I, I tried to view this, from you know, and and, and I know uh, uh, friends and sort of people I've seen on social media who don't know this stuff, kind of like scratching their heads, going like, "What is this?" And then like when I looked at it with that filter on, mm -hmm. I was like, "Oh, what is this?" Yeah. Right? You know, and it doesn't. It, it's not that it doesn't give you information. It doesn't. Oh, uh, it doesn't sort of 
give you paint that sort picture. of high-level impact. Yeah, it doesn't. There you go. Paint the picture, and that and that that's I guess absolutely, what I'll absolutely no. And this this is going to be one of my struggles with the book in general. Um, but this chapter, if it was more fleshed out, could have fixed that. Like. Like why why use the page count to it's not even a page it's why use the the column space to <laughs> to discuss this weird like currency exchange system like that is space that could have been used to give us more of this big picture image of the setting and instead you're gonna dig into the currency when it would have been just as easy to you know let's just use the standard D and D currency exchange system and not worry about it. Like then we don't have to. Why did this? It doesn't seem to add anything to the to the setting at all. That it's going to be a pain in the ass to exchange your money. Does right, that right. does it does it add anything? Am I missing something there? Oh no! It confu- It completely confused me. Yeah. I was like, oh yes, yes. Moving on. I know how to convert things in D and am going to move on to the next chapter. Yeah. I I, I did like the uh, the comforts of civilization section just because it gives you a picture of. A little more picture of what the light, the world is like. Um, you know, like you can buy a newspaper, you can buy a cup of coffee. Right. This tells you something about the world that you're mm-hmm. in. Um, you know, but yeah, I think this. I'm more interested in hearing from you guys who haven't been like mm-hmm. deeply inured right. in magic to see what what the impression it left you with. Because mm-hmm. for, for like, you know, Quinn said, you know, he and I probably, you know, know a good deal about this setting before we ever pick up this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, the, like, the like I said, it, it left it left me wanting. So, okay. so one of the things that uh, I've noticed is that I didn't feel as excited about the book until I started talking to and hearing from people who are very heavily invested in Ravnica. Uh, and in fact, um, I think it was, uh, one of the, uh, one of the other episodes on this podcast with, uh, Ginny and, um, and Paige mm-hmm. where they were talking about it. And I'm like, wow, this all sounds amazing. I wish I could have gotten that from a cursory reading of the book. Right. Um, so it's almost like the, the, intro- the introduction should have been like, go find someone who really loves Ravnica <laughs> and talk to them for 20 minutes. Or like th- this made, I was going to bring this up later, but I'll go ahead and bring it up now because it's relevant. Um, there were big chunks of this book that I really like. And at the same time, when I'm reading a setting book, I'm looking to be inspired for the story that I'm going to tell in the setting. And there was literally nothing in this book that inspired me towards that story, except maybe, uh, chapter four about creating adventures. And I had an idea of, of a sort of a different DMing style that I could do and a different type of, of storytelling that I could do that would maybe fit into what they're talking about using that chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, there was just like when they describe the locations or the guilds there, it's missing sort of the mysteries or the hooks or the plots and the things that sort of would pull me in and give me a story. And as I was discussing that literally today for like two hours on Twitter, um, myself and like the three or four other people that we were just going back and forth on and some other people chimed in off and on, like we were chatting about it and like, I don't know, I think this is the the only kind of story I've come up with that I could tell. And somebody else was like, Oh, I think I would do this. I'm like, Oh, Okay, now I have a campaign. Like you give me an idea, I know what cam- what my campaign would be if I did a Ravnica campaign. Now it just moved like three steps up on my list of of campaigns I'd like to do. So, right. But yeah, but I, I mean, but I didn't get that inspiration from the book. I got the inspiration from talking through the book with other people. 
Right. And I think yeah, that's an it, issue. Go ahead, Quinn. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I think I think it's a. I feel like, like they they knew when they picked you know Ravnik. They I mean they didn't pick some like, you know, small side, you know, magic project or something. You know, mm-hmm. um, but, you know they picked something popular that they knew a bunch of people were like and sort of. I feel like they might have depended on sort of word of mouth too much, but is it, it's weird. I feel like, you know, when they sort of describe it they're like oh hey it so happens that he said it you know like like it like they, they, they literally i think use sort of a phrasing like oh it just so happens that the guilds are like you know these 10 magic guilds have like you know are good for adventure like that's not a really like like what i want them to say <laughs> about it what i want them to say about it is look ravnica is a place where 10 like guilds are basically at war and they can't destroy each other so they have to live with each other and you're stuck in the middle of it right because that's what that's what actually makes ravnica cool that's what ravnica is i mean there's like all these 10 guilds could not be further from that further from each other than they want to be and they all want to be in charge right but they can't Mm -hmm. so whoops and they're at like a permanent kind of like you know uh sort of uh uneasy treaty Right, but like no, like you you have to triangulate that, and the, to me it's like a you know from the you know I don't know that's just how you pitch settings, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there it looks like they're just trying to not get too excited about it, right? Like just like hey, we're just gonna give you the fact, <laughs> like like, and that's why in this first chapter we have currency and languages, yeah, the price of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't establish why is this different but yeah i i, I think uh i mean i can sell this that what's different about it i can tell people this is why this is fascinating to me uh you know it's it's more intrigue and uh sort of social maneuvering than mm-hmm. your traditional D setting it is uh higher fantasy than most uh it is possibly, arguably, the highest fantasy setting outside of Planescape mm. Uh, mm. that they've ever published. By high, highest fantasy, you mean highest magic? Yeah, like, uh, you've got guilds here that are led by sphinxes, oh, angels, yeah, uh, <laughs> shapeshifters, ghost councils. And I, yeah, council of ghosts. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, it is... It is super high fantasy uh, all over the place. Uh, you know, they, they have tunnels where that channel uh, magical uh, energy throughout the city. Uh, there's uh, it. It's filled with all kinds of these really fascinating things. Um, you know, the, it, it's a city so big and so old. I mean, it's been standing for what, 10,000 years, 15,000 years, uh, that there are sections below the city surface that nobody knows are still there. Mm-hmm. There are oceans under the city. Well, none of that's in the book. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it is, but you don't... Yeah, You have to read it between the lines and find the, the, if it, the if, section. If it's between the lines, it's not in the book. <laughs> Like well, in in the tenth, like when they talk about the tenth district, mm-hmm. they talk about the fact that there are, are are bodies of water beneath the city. Sure, and they describe all the magical things and 
that are uh, going under the city and they do actually talk about it, but they don't spend any time on it. Yeah. It's something about all of this reminds me, and I don't want to go off on too much, too much of a tangent, but there's a setting for fifth edition D and D among others called uh, primeval fool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know and it. it's kind of sold as this like hyperborean Conan esque like prehistory setting. It's, it's Conan, a, Conan meets Cthulhu. I think Conan, is how they sell correct. it. Yeah. Yes. And they did a fantastic, fantastic job of like in the first 10 pages they're like these are the stories you can tell you can fight the the magical heart of a glacier you can go up against a tribe of beastsmen and so on and so forth they just go down all the list of like these are the stories that you want to tell in this setting right and just looking at that list i'm like yes i want to run it and i think that's Mm -hmm. hard to do well like you know uh, uh, the the critical role taldori book like i read chapter one and i was bored out of my skull because it's like this deep history and i'm like i don't know what's important and what's not and like what stories am i telling i have no idea right Mm -hmm. uh uh the the um the other game that i play a lot lately is torg eternity right so the core book Mm -hmm. you open up and it also doesn't do a great job of hooking you because it dives straight Mm -hmm. into like the setting in the world uh, which mm-hmm. is great, but at that point, I don't know what any of this means because I don't understand the game, <laughs> right? Um, so, so yeah, so I guess this book is not alone in that it doesn't introduce the, it, the, the concept well, right? Although I, I have to say it's ironic that it kind of misses this because we were just, you know, uh, one of the last ones I was on here for, The Wayfarer's Guide to Eberron. Uh-huh. I feel like The Wayfinder's Guide nails it right they they like lead out and they're just like look here they do they do the like i I feel like it's like almost every setting should have some sort of at the beginning like here's the um you know kind of here's what we're about and it has like the bullet list of like you know uh, magical world pulp adventure neonor like give me this sort of quick phrases and then it goes through and explains each of them in turn right so even if you like i was never really all that into eberron uh, before that but it's like they, they lay it out in such a way i'm like i can see the kind of story that i'd want to tell if i'm going to tell one here mm-hmm. and get excited and so it's, it's, it's ironic to me that they just in their last kind of major setting thing did this but they don't have it here like well, i, I, I want to see the same thing and it's different people writing it right so yeah 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 but yeah it just just as a formatting thing right absolutely sure. no all right so we've talked a lot so, about stuff that that like to the point that I'm not going to have much to talk about when we get to chapter three, uh, and we're half we're 40 minutes in and we haven't talked about chapter one yet. So um, let let's dive into some of the the things that are here. Um, chapter one is simply the character creation chapter. It's not um, the longest chapter, but at the same time, it's it's I think one of the really strong chapters. Like I may never run a game in Ravnica based on the level of inspiration that I have from, from this book on it, but I'm definitely going to pull stuff straight out of chapter one and, and allow it for my players. The race options are great. The class options are great. Even the concept of the guilds. And this gets a little bit into to chapter two and how they function, I think is really interesting and engaging. All of those things are going to appear in my, in my settings in the future. I'm sure. Other thoughts on on the character options and the things that are there. We have for races. It's it's uh, the new ones are Centaur, Goblin, Loxodon, which are like big Buddhist elephant people, right? Sort of. <laughs> Min- <laughs> Minotaur, Simic hybrid, and the Vedalkin, which are like blue Vulcans. Vedalkin, yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I will let other people sort of touch the the raisins now. Uh, the the thing I want to highlight the the chef kiss, I think 
I love the questionnaire. Like they have this questionnaire about, you know, mm. what sort of like pick your guild yeah. kind of thing. And it's just like, what's important to me, right? And you can sort of just kind of like, you know, go through this flow chart and sort of answer these questions and be like, hey, you might want to be uh, in House Demir or you want to do this. And it lets you kind of, as a player, get a sense of like where, wh whenever you're sort of uh, playing or making a character, where you want to navigate and what might work for you. Mm -hmm. I, I like, I just like that. It's like a nice little And touch. it's one of those things that you see on like social media and stuff all the time, right? But, right. But, I, and I like the fact that they, they have found a way to do that kind of thing. Take something that's popular on social media, make it appropriate and use it in a product like this and not make it like strange and weird and corny and like it doesn't fit in yes so yeah i agree that was brilliantly done other thoughts on the character options uh some of these are going to be uh familiar uh goblin i think was uh, brought up in volo's guide um or yeah volo's guide uh as a player option uh and this is just a a reiteration of that um it, it it tells you something about the setting though that it's listed in the character mm -hmm. creation section that yeah these guys are so common that you should be thinking about them as a player option right um it's a little bit like the, kobolds in uh in in zobek right for mid, yeah, yeah for midgard people who are into that yeah, thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um uh, and uh, there is a a design space uh, thing that you'll see in both Midgard and here uh, where there is a deep and abiding fear of having anything be large-sized. <laughs> uh, and there's good reasons. Mm -hmm. There are mechanical reasons for that, and, and I get it. Because uh, they, they, they did it back in 3rd edition, and it was a mess. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I totally get that. Uh, but, that, yeah, that that does mean that they have to do some sort of bending over backwards mechanically to make sure that you can have somebody who should be large, but isn't right. Like the Loxodon, they're as much as eight feet tall and 400 pounds, but they're not large, uh, but they're not large. <laughs> right. They're extra medium. That's the <laughs> extra, extra medium, uh, medium that, plus. That, the the, yeah. the other one that I would bring up in here is the Simic Hybrid is a builder race. Yeah. Like, all right, <laughs> the what do you want to do? The stuff they did, they did that a few times. So the, between the Simic Hybrid and then when you get to the magic item section in Chapter 5, uh, what the, the Mizium Apparatus... There's a lot oh, of sort of there's a lot of sort of and, and even one of the monsters is this way. I don't remember which one not now. But there's this sort of uh, they've added this element of sort of a modular a modular race, a modular magic item, a modular monster, and you can sort of mm -hmm. here's the base and then here are the different things that you can do to customize it. Go, you know, go wild and have go crazy and have fun, right? Mm -hmm. And I right. find I find those things interesting. I, I think if they did that a lot, it would be too much mm -hmm. and it would become confusing and it would become uh, problematic in my story. Uh, but just sprinkled in in a few places like this, I, I think it's 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 a fun place to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I I think that the all of the options in here are playable in any game, uh, not just in, in uh, Ravnica, mm -hmm. and that's something to take away from it. Mm -hmm. And and I feel like they were able to get there too. Um, and I feel like when we when we talked about this on uh, at parts in Midgard. Um, we, 
sort of there's that kind of uh, I feel like especially with how fifth ed is laid out, it works a lot better when you're when you do mapping of kind of existing options and then only create like new options for the stuff that's truly different and like sort of uh, stands out so it occupies like a space rather than you know uh, you can you know uh, is a common thing in sort of RPGs to see them sort of kind of sub reinvent the wheel for one or two differences mm -hmm. uh, uh, but here they go through uh, I think they do for the class options uh, if, uh, they do a really good job of mapping them to the different guilds so you can so, so rather than go oh here's uh, you know a whole new option for a fighter subclass for each of these guilds they're like no like arcane archer probably belongs in Selesnia or you know, they they just find the place where these other things fit, mm -hmm. um, and so and so then then they're just giving much less. Uh, they're not trying to make a whole catalog of things, um, and so the stuff they make, I think, is just of a nicer quality and like easier to fit in to stuff. Yeah. So then, uh, chapter two is in many ways the meat of the book. Uh, because chapter two is where they describe the the tin guilds, um, and the tin guilds sort of dominate the setting. Um, on one hand, we could go through each of the guilds, and that would be fine. But I think it's at least to me, it's more interesting to talk about it from sort of a, a big picture view, right? The individual guilds that like. If I describe an individual guild, that's not necessarily going to convince me that this is an interesting setting or not. But their approach to the guilds, I think, is interesting and, and is telling towards uh, the value of the product. Does that make sense? Oh, yes. Sure. Mm -hmm. and, also, um, and also, we've talked for 45 minutes and we're on Chapter 2, so going through each yeah. guild might take too long. Yeah. If, uh, if I could interject, uh, yeah. looking through the guilds, it, it's reminiscent of the old vampire books where you have the mm -hmm. different clans. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, uh, yeah. And it's not yeah. just this is who the clan is. This is how, also how they interact. So having yes. the like the Golgari view on other guilds is really good because then you get a sense for how you're a Golgari. This is how you might uh, interact with someone from this guild and so mm -hmm. on and so forth. Yeah, and so and so to give a, an overview, we have some guilds that are all about sort of the law and order, and they play a role in society mm -hmm. of sort of being the police force. Um, you've got like the more militant Boros Legion. You've got the more manipulative spycraft of House Demir. The Golgari Swarm are the people that uh, that you were just talking about. That's the you know there's lots of them, and they live underground, and and you know they've got all the swarms of insects, and and what, I think there's undead involved and all that kind of stuff, right? Sure. Uh, the Gruul want to tear everything down and destroy everything. They're the the mm -hmm. Anarchs. Uh, the Izzet League are the the experimenters, the mad scientists. The Orzhov are sort of the, um, I, I guess. So they're the bankers, but they're also kind of like what the mafia. They're also the religion. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You, um, you their Most religion. Mafia. Basically, you make a deal with them for a, what happens to you in your afterlife. I see. Uh, and so if you make a deal with them and you have to get off your debt, your afterlife is I'm serving them as a ghost. Right. Uh, and then the, the cult of Rakdos are the entertainers, but also a demon cult. 
Uh, the Silencia Conclave. Basically, Bernie Man gone horribly wrong. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) The Silencia Conclave is sort of the the druid naturey people that you know also kind of want to tear it all down, but that's but you know for I guess more altruistic reasons of returning things to nature. Uh, And then the Simic Combine are the is the guild that's all about like um, genetic manipulation almost, except you know without the concept of genetics, like splicing things together, and and, which is why the Simic hybrid race is so weird because you can and and so modular because you know hey I'm I'm a human but I've got weird tentacles coming out of my back or whatever. So that's those are the ten guilds in a nutshell. But what did we think about the approach of how they present the guilds? That I found to be more interesting. I think they all together, like they are the rising tide that raises all ships. Like you had mentioned one guild, I don't know, is as attractive as seeing how it interacts with all the other guilds. Mm -hmm. Like I think because I can look at each of them, I can find a place in whatever world I want to run because I understand what it means for that guild because you have all these different lenses that it's being viewed in. And so I think if I only read about one, I don't know that I could find the place as easily as knowing how all of these other like extremely different mm-hmm. guilds view them. And you know, like I said, finding its place is super easy after reading the whole chapter. Mm-hmm. I, I think that uh, one of the things that they do a decent job of explaining, but you know, maybe people don't might, might not be familiar with the notion um, their disagreements are philosophical, but the world doesn't function without all of them. Yes. Ah, yes. Is that that true? Yes, Yes, it is absolutely true. Because I've been having this conversation since I read it. What role does the, do the gruel have? The gruel are the agitators. Uh Uh-huh. Every society needs (laughs) agitators. Well, maybe if I'm a, from a thousand eye view, picture we we can say that but if i'm one of the other guilds i don't know why i let them sign the guild pact because they just want to tear it all down (laughs) well when the original guild pact was set up there was more outside the city of ravnica than is now sure and the gruel were given control of the areas outside the city was but was that just sort of to placate them because they were such a pain in the ass no, it was so that there would be somebody out there sort of uh, keeping those those sections preserved because it was thought that they would be useful. But more to the point... Keeping it preserved? Also... Or, were, or, or were they like the, the, the barrier between the wilds and the, and the monsters out there in the city? They're sort of the buffer zone. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, also, the, they the societal role that they fill is also part of that, uh, that reason why they exist. Yeah. I, I mean, dovetailing sort of, you know, and, 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 and like to just hit, hit uh, the theme uh, that like, I, I kind of had wanted to express is just this point of like, I, I wanted them to call out exactly why the city can't like why like like just like a part that says is like here's what they do and here's why you know guild pack aside what they do and like like almost like and, and almost like in from a little more there they describe what they do but like almost kind of they they, they sort of do, you know in each section they sort of describe 
them and what they're sort of doing and, and sort of vaguely favorably. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to see one almost like biased for the clan. Like here's here's the city as like like you know very deeply as like we see it and like you know yeah. the, you know uh, and and give a little more of that mm-hmm. um, flavor. Um, so, third, so I mean, I'm basically just plus listen. Plus third party publishers be listening if you uh if you want to write something for dm's guild for the setting some uh guild-based books that explain everything from that guild's point of view would be awesome sure now what one of the so what i really liked the way they presented the guilds i thought this is one of the strengths of the book the idea of um, what it means to be a member of the guild, how you can be p- part of the guild, uh, what this means in terms of like the bonds and contacts that you have, the renown system I think is brilliant, uh, and and the way it, you you can work your way up the ranks of the guild by earning sort of these these meta uh, renown points. Like you never you don't like have a score written on your forehead or anything, right? But um, <laughs> but you know on your character sheet you're keeping track of how far am I advancing in the guild, and I'm earning new titles because of it, new responsibilities, but also new resources. Um, like all of that I thought was really well done to the point that like I want to see more factions and more organizations and other books formatted like the guilds of Ravnica are I think it it is a masterclass in faction design yeah absolutely like I in the future when I'm running a game and I want to use factions whether it's the Forgotten Realms factions that they use all the time or whatever like I want to do a little write-up for each one that's like this for the players to, to look at and use. So whether it's the, you know, the Harpers or whatever, like here's, here's how the Harpers work and here's how you earn renown. And God, could you imagine that for forgotten realm? I'm sorry. But like, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That'd be, that'd be great. Uh, the uh, one mechanical thing that I'll bring up here in this section that should be pointed out is the notion of guild spells mm-hmm. because it is a high magic setting. This is makes perfect sense that they are a thing. But those get added to your known spells list, no matter what spellcasting la- class you play. Mm-hmm. It's like it's um, like cleric domain spells, but for every spellcasting class. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, even if you are doing arcane initiate, you get all of these. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is... Now, that doesn't mean you can cast them, but they're known. No. They are known to you. Right. And uh, if... Uh, if that can be very useful in sort of planning out a mechanically anyway, your characters, what kind of stuff you want them to be able to do. Right. Okay. So we've talked 10 minutes on chapter two and it's, it's a big meaty section, but I think we've covered the, the gist of it. Is there anything else that people want to say about the guilds? Then let's move on to chapter three. Uh, chapter three, I know we're going quick, but we're already at 55 minutes. Um, chapter three is the 10th district section. It's sort of the setting section of the setting book. Uh, in a lot of ways, they give you, um, the description of the six precincts of the 10th district. And the 10th district is basically a region of Ravnica. Ravnica is of course a, a planet covered in one giant city, kind of like Coruscant from star Wars. Right. Um, but the 10th district is like one section of the city that's actually like city sized in other settings. Like it's a water deep size section of, of this planet wide city. Um, and it gives you a little bit of a hint or uh, clues as to sort of how the cities, how the, the precincts and how the different areas of Ravnica function. 
Um, I found it generally uninspiring. Like, okay, that's interesting. That'd be good reference if I'm already running an adventure there. But usually I want to – this is the section where I want to be inspired. Um, and, and there wasn't a lot of, like, mysteries or hooks or things that made me, like, start to pull together a narrative here. Yeah, it could have used with another 20 to 30 pages worth of content. Um, Although, and not to get too far ahead, but chapter four is the section on creating adventures, yeah. which is really the where they say. And here's how you here's here's some inspiration for how to tell a story here. I, I was actually the conversation I had on Twitter earlier that I referenced um, uh, previously um, actually started with somebody like complaining about how much of a big waste of time chapter four was. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Right. The, I, no, would have, I, I would have been completely disappointed and thrown this book out the window if it wasn't for chapter four. It <laughs> saved the book for me. Yeah. Uh, it, and, uh, uh, I, it, 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 you can actually randomly roll up the plot for your adventure. Have a nice day. Well, and <laughs> and normally I would be I would be opposed to that, right? But but everything is so modular here. And and ironically, I told you that one of the other games that I play a lot lately is Torg. Um, I found on on their version of DMs Guild, I found um, somebody who had published a product of here's how to randomly roll up uh, adventures for Torg. And I had done it, and like it gives you just enough of a seed that then you can start to flesh it out and figure out what the narrative is and really make it into an interesting adventure. That I had such luck with that that I looked at this through that lens, and I saw exactly how it can function. Not to basically randomly roll up your entire adventure, but enough to give you a seed of an idea, and then you can build from it and flesh it out from there. I think, I think chapter four is what saves this book for me more than anything else. Um. I, I I think that uh, any would be DM skill uh, creators who want to make their adventure in Ravnica could just as easily uh, set up their plot outline by rolling up on this chart and just fleshing it out. Yep. Uh, and in it's, a way, in sorry? a way, it was it was weird to me that it was chapter four and it was not chapter three, or that two was not three, because like they two and four feel like they just go together so well. I mean, you sure. know, and if you followed up the guild descriptions, basically with flow chart, you know, and random tables of adventures you could run with the guilds you just read about. Um, and as someone that is not familiar with, with Ravnica chapter mm -hmm. three was a little confusing because I was like, where's, where's the rest? Uh, right the world where's yeah. precinct one through nine i i had this thought as well like well, precinct 10 is interesting and all but what happens when i walk out those you know walk down the street <laughs> but you're gonna say something quinn oh uh, yeah i mean like a couple things like one i i feel like so a theme running through the book um and, and i think it's coming out as we talk about it, about it is the parts that we like the most are all character based Right. Mm -hmm. You know, like four is all about kind of like these different motivations and who does what mm -hmm. and where and what complications there are. Right. That's like pretty much all it is. Right. Um, you know, driven by, you know, and, and, and what organizations they are working for and mm -hmm. things like that. And and the sections that we're like not so fond of are have like very, you know, they have random things of people on the street. Right? Uh, and each, each precinct. But they're not really character based it's just like well we're just going to tell you some stuff right. um and where where i'd love to see like i think something that could have helped uh do it without like tons of expansion was uh uh in each of the precincts tell us like give us some characters 
yeah. right? Like some notable characters and like give us like a little blurb about them and what they do. If you gave like, me, if you gave me, if you gave me a handful of characters for each of the right. precincts and a little blurb about what they're up to or what, you know, a mystery about them or whatever, right. that would have been yeah. inspiring to me. And I would have had a story uh, appear in my head. So right, exactly. like Dragon Heist. Oh, yeah. Dragon yeah, Heist does that brilliantly. Yeah. So yeah. I that that does bring to mind the fact that I know people were bemoaning the fact that we were getting all these adventure books to present the setting of Forgotten Realms mm-hmm. instead of just a Forgotten Realms setting book. But sure. I, in light of this, I think one can appreciate a, an adventure as a means of delivering the setting since it really I, does. I think there is a balance yeah. to be reached. I am one of those people who's like, yes. great, we've had 17 books in the Forgotten <laughs> Realms. I would like a setting book, <laughs> you know, but I'm also a big Realms fan, right? So maybe I'm yes. not the, the core per- people they're trying to please here, but. So they do include an adventure in here. They do. And I have and, run it. And it's good. It looks really yeah. interesting. It looks uh, short. I, it is. It's short, but I ran it at the local game store. Um, and I had some people there who were D&D newbies. I had some people involved that were uh, younger. And I had some people there that were more magic players than D&D players. Mm-hmm. Um, things that come to, that, that came out of it is intrigue is hard to sell to people who don't know how to play intrigue. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there is a, there's a, a guy who shows up and, uh, uh, you know, he's the guy who pitches the adventure to the, the PCs and he says, go capture this guy, Krinko. And by the way, under no circumstances should you question him. Now, any game, any player base I've played with for, <laughs> Wait, for if you, decades. If you tell me not to question somebody, that means there's something up and I need to question them. <laughs> yeah, you have to talk stat. Yeah, all, all of them will be like, yeah, we've got to find out what the heck's going on here. Right. They capture Krinko, and he's practically begging to tell them stuff, and they knock him out and carry him back to the guy who hired them. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, it may be a a thing that people aren't used to. Like, D&D adventures often, for especially for newer uh, players, can be pretty straightforward. And political maneuvering is a huge thing in Ravnica. Mm-hmm. Like there's always some second agenda or third agenda that's going on around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that may be something hard to pick up. That said, the adventure's good. It's got uh, Krinko is actually a character that appears on a card in current rotation. Okay. Mm-hmm. See, um, I, I, see, I found that to be part of why I love this chapter actually, because like from this chapter, I got this idea. Uh, like, I'm used to like planning my campaigns in advance, and I kind of have an idea of what the theme's going to be and where it's going and how it ends. Right? I don't know all the steps along the way, but I kind of know the direction we're heading, and so I can I can you know tell that story. Um, this inspired me to be like, well, or maybe I just need a good starting place, and then I use the random generation bit, and I use player stuff, and that just drives it, and every session we sit down, and I don't know what's going to happen, right? And that's okay. Um, it would be a very different way of DMing, but I would need a good starting hook for it, and I thought this adventure was a really good way to sort of get everybody together and start that hook um, and get that story started. Um, so all in all... Uh, I think it does a good job of taking me as a D&D person who's not that into magic and doesn't know Ravnica and giving me enough information about how do I actually 
do adventures in this setting right now it may not be ravnica maybe isn't the best place to introduce new new players to the game um which i think is what you're getting at jeremiah um well, but for somebody who, who plays D this is the section that was for me yeah absolutely um uh, i will say that doing the adventure will lead me into ch- chapter five the thing that the players had the most fun with, because I made pre-gens, mm-hmm. and uh, the is it character in, <laughs> in the party, a, a goblin is it wizard, had a, a Mizium apparatus. Uh-huh. Oh, nice. And they adored the apparatus. Yeah. They were just immediately like, oh, wait, okay. Because uh, I read what it did to them they were like you know what does this do and i was i explained it to them and then everybody at the table's like oh you've got to cast spells you don't know right so <laughs> we can use this because <laughs> we want to see what happens uh-huh <laughs> no it's and, a really fun little thing there was a an old um second edition al class um oh uh now and it, it, it escapes me now I, I've been talking about it for years, and now I can't think of it. What, uh, the but, Shire? Or? Yes, the Shire, right? So so you w- with the Shire, you can call up these spells that you don't know or that are more, too powerful for you or whatever, and there's this like weird percentage chance you're going to get it. And that kind of stuff is super fun, this idea of, like, I can do stuff that I'm not supposed to do, but it could, like, fail horribly, right? Yeah. This you sort of catches that kind of You magic sorcerer with a Mizium apparatus. <laughs> and it's chaos all the way down. <laughs> that sounds fun. Yeah. So the and so you've moved us into chapter five, and the last two chapters, five and six, are are five is all about magic items, basically. I mean, there's some other stuff about you know guild charms, which are really just a different kind of magic item, uh, sure. and and using coins, but it's mostly magic items. And then the the last chapter is all about you know here's a bunch of NPCs or monsters to use. Um, I found both of these sections to be strong. Like, this isn't what I need in my D&D game. I don't need a giant collection of, of uh, monster stats and magic items. Um, but everything that's here was good. And, and, and okay, let's be honest. I can always use more monsters <laughs> just to surprise my players <laughs> with, right? Uh, sure magic, Ida- magic items, whatever. I'm not as worried about those because th- they come along so seldomly in the game, uh, in this edition of the game anyway, that it, you know it didn't matter to me much. Um, but some of them are really fun. Like you talk about the Mizian apparatus, the soldier, uh, as a, uh, the fact that they didn't exist until this book is a bit <laughs> you know, weird, but yeah, the, the soldier stat block is super useful. Um, I, I think in the one thing I will critique on, uh, this, the, the sixth chapter, the creatures. So... Lair actions are a thing for high-powered opponents, mm-hmm. particularly dragons. Mm-hmm. Very f- uh, few creatures in here have anything like a layer action. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't pick up on that, but you're. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. There was a, li- a section about Golgari lair actions, because in general, because Golgari are underground and have this sort of fungal wonderland under under the earth um but uh yeah like niz mifit uh there niv mizit uh who is the who is the the dragon who is the founder and current guild master of the is it league right is the most powerful dragon they've ever published 
Yeah. M5E. That was the conversation we had on, on Twitter uh, earlier, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, technically, Tiamat, but Tiamat is an avatar. And, technically, and, and technically not a dragon, as we and were technically discussing. Technically not a dragon. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, in, in, you know, Wizards of the Coast published material, and, you know, I double-checked with a few people to make sure I wasn't searching wrong. This is the most powerful one that they've ever put. Um, but he doesn't have a layer action. Right. Now they do have legendary actions, but they don't have the layer action, right? Right. Um, and I would, I think that that was an oversight. Okay. Yeah. From a monster design standpoint. Well, and also, also it'd be interesting to find a way to make the layer action to take these Ravnica flavored kind of, mm-hmm. you know, thing like, you know, they, they could have sort of used kind of uh, the the setting elements to kind of make that a little more interesting and in-depth, I think, too. But. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, now that, I mean, from a mechanical side, thinking, you know, as you can well imagine, my D&D brain more than anything else, it's, it's really interesting to think that they wouldn't have leaned even heavier into layer actions because Ravnica has existed for so long. Like, right. you could have one of the powerful npcs of any of the guilds have layer actions because they've you know where they live has been around for ten thousand years right right? and who who do they know and what have they built into that area so yeah now that you've brought it up it is really interesting that they didn't lean a -hmm. lot more into that no i agree i agree that that said the rest of the monsters uh and everything else about those monsters as well i found to be really compelling i like the the idea of the new the new demons and things but but with a little bit of a different twist the uh you know the the npcs all you know there's all there's a a bunch of angels because angels are a big thing in ravnica um um there's a there's like a an insectoid the, creatures uh, race or whatever that would have been really interest, uh, really useful to me when I started my current campaign. Yeah, yeah. because I have a, <laughs> the same thing that I had to sort of reskin and recreate. So there, there is a there is a note that should be added as relates to angels in this setting, just because it it is a difference from the other D and D settings out there. Mm-hmm. Angels in this setting have no association with a god; they exist separate from gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are basically an icon of a philosophy made made into a, a living form. Uh, same as demons in, in the setting as well. They're a, 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 basically a philosophical principle turned into a living thing. That said, um, I did really like that there were celestial creatures of a low CR. because mm. That was something that was missing from the game. Uh, as well as a couple of other things like plant creatures and so on and so forth. Yep. Mm-hmm. Big giant flying worms. Yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, the, uh, uh, the, the lich, the Divacaran lich, um, they don't go into it much, which is a little weird, uh, but their lichdom comes from a fungal path. Hmm. So they're... Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not like they're not made like the traditional liches of 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 your. <laughs> they have a, a a different path. Okay. So I feel like so there's a saying... terrible dad joke in there from lich to mm-hmm. lichen. But we'll, uh, <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> just move on, move on, everyone. Oh, really? Wow. 
<laughs> all right, all right, all right. So I think we got a good a good sense of what's in the book. I know I've been rushing things because we we talked a lot about stuff set, uh, leading up to it. But I think mm-hmm. even though we rushed through parts of it, like I don't feel like we we gave anything short shrift. Do you guys? I guess this no, is I, this is your no. chance to add in any last thoughts or fill in anything we didn't talk about. So missed opportunity, um, especially given like the great kind of like you know, roll your own adventure thing in there. Um, I would have liked to see that expand a little bit. And uh, after sort of the 10th district kind of thing, um, uh, like make your own district kind of stuff, like sort of how to blend some of these things and like, hey, you want to cover some other area of Ravnica? Like, here's how you sort of like yeah. lay it out. Yeah. Like, I, thought, I think that would have been like, like an, I mean, I mean, I guess it could be DM skilled content, maybe or something. Yeah. I don't know, but like that, like that would be like that would be a, a great add-on mm-hmm. to something like this. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that um, the that that is something that that sort of needs to exist. I would have liked them to at least spent a page, just a page, talking about the fact that it does have so many crossovers with other planes mm. that that because it is fairly central to the stories of the setting that you know spend a, a little bit of time and talking about how you might do uh, relate to that and uh, how to run games that might involve extra dimensional elements um, but maybe they could do that as a published adventure like we we talked about the fact that there is the published settings a published setting has limitations that we have certainly dug into part of that is they're not going to do 30 hardback books about this <laughs> one plane like forgotten realms got in third edition um and it, so they have to you know squeeze a lot of a lot of setting into a, a relatively small package mm-hmm. it does make me go all right now publish the adventure Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, uh, that's that's one of my big things I, I find every time there's a, a new setting I'm being introduced to. I want a big introductory like adventure path, not just an adventure. Like I want you to 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 give me a tour of the world through one mm-hmm. adventure. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, w- I really wish that existed like for Midgard because Midgard I, has so much you know, meat to it that I just can't eat it all. Um, I, I, I need a tour. I want an anthology. Yeah, adventures that'd, that'd like like fine. a tales of the yawning portal. That'd be yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and actually, like the setting that there's a timeline to magic, and this one happens. This setting, as it is presented, is before the current block of magic cards there. Mm. Okay. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe they publish an adventure after they finish the storyline of the block that they're in. Involving how Nicobolus is trying to corrupt the the plane, and the PCs have to counteract his his, his influence on the plane. So what you're cool. telling me is that if I wanted inspiration for the kind of story that that is going on here, I need to be pulling from the magic lore. Yes. Okay. Well, great. <laughs> like the 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 uh, the head of the uh, Azorius as presented in here is as near as I can tell dead in the current timeline okay uh because huh. nicobolus had him killed and or, or her killed and uh replaced with somebody he could manipulate okay 
Well, there we go. Uh, other last thoughts. I think I've been trying to work on the analogy for this, and this is the best I've come up with, so hopefully it works for everyone. But if you looked at each published book as a set of Legos, I think this book has some of the coolest pieces out there right now. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I necessarily had any plans on what to build in the box that I bought. <laughs> right. But like I said, these are some of the absolute coolest pieces out in officially published material and it is in my opinion everyone should buy it i think there's something for players dungeon masters just everything but again you know like we've all kind of alluded to right. like the plan behind those pieces isn't as easy to kind of pull out of this book alone yeah. I, th I, th I think i could get behind that like i really like the pieces i've been given in this i just don't want to build what's on the cover you know, or you know, in, on the box. I don't. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to build what the, what they they have designed for these pieces. But I I like the pieces. I can build other cool stuff with it. Um, you know, I also think it's worth noting that um, the artwork is pretty fantastic. Magic has a long Ooh. history of great artwork. Mm -hmm. One of the things that drives me crazy in D and D books is when they recycle art. And maybe it's because of my long history with the game that I always notice it. I suspect there was a bunch of recycled art in this book, but I have no idea that they did that because I, I'm not into the magic stuff. Uh, so I'm just awash with this beautiful, beautiful artwork. The fantastic cover, which I think might be the first time I've seen a woman of color as as the key sort of badass figure on the cover of the book, uh, which is great. I didn't see a lot of like um, sexualization of, of women throughout the book. Um, you know, there was a lot of diversity through the book. So there's a lot of uh, representation of different people in different groups. Um I'm very pleased with the way the book looks uh, on top of everything else. Yeah, uh, it's it's a gorgeous book. Uh, even if you don't plan on doing the magic setting and don't have the attachment to the storyline of magic, there's so much good stuff in here. Like mm -hmm. the monsters, while I, I did lament the lack of layer actions, the monsters are super flavorful and interesting. Uh, the yeah. uh, Mizium apparatus, uh, I kind of want to put it in every game after <laughs> watching yeah. the players with it. Just, uh, just the, one the, mad scientist to put it together, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it's the Mizium apparatus is what the girl on the cover is wearing, right? Uh, and yeah, it's unique for each different person, so it looks different depending on who's using it, but um. But yeah, the, the character options are good. The build your own adventure section is a good way to structure those sorts of things. Um, I do agree that it doesn't do a good job of painting a picture for people who don't already know magic. Mm -hmm. What's cool here. But everything else here is awesome and is worth buying. I mean, mm. uh, I've you know, talked to people online who are not magic people or like, yeah, but this book is awesome. You know, uh, it, one of the, the things that occurs to me is we talk about the value of the book and what have you. There are a lot of people who looked at like Volo's Guide and Morden Kanan's Tome of Foes uh, and said, well, I'm glad to have more monsters, but you, you wasted two thirds of the book with all this lore stuff. Um, this book feels like it has just about as many monsters as any of that. So if those books were worth it for the monsters, then in this book you get about as many monsters, plus you get this great uh, format for organizations in the guilds, and you get the player content as well that those books didn't necessarily have. Um, mm -hmm. So for those things alone, um, it may be worth it to you. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. I I like I like what they're doing um, with this sort of design. Is sort of um, rather than kind of you know we're you know the very old school thing of like here's the you know here's the player's guide here's the you know GM's guide. It's like here's a book that can serve both a GM and a player's purpose mm-hmm. um, at once, and then uh, and it's designed in such a way that it's it uh you know and here i'm just sort of plus wanting everyone's uh stuff <laughs> there uh where where it's like where it, you can reskin it and use it in a number of ways right like as a you know as a here as an album <laughs> a new, a new analogy because as, a, as an album it might not always be kind of the experience that you want right it may be lacking in a few songs here and there and like when you listen to it, you're like ah, i just want to skip to this thing but as songs right you're like oh yeah i definitely got to hear that one like there's some tracks on here that are amazing that are worth your time uh for either inspiration or just outright uh theft i mean borrowing (laughs) this album this album has four or five like top 40 songs right that i would totally buy an album in order to get those songs off of yes right (laughs) even if i'm not that into the rest of it right those songs are good enough it's worth buying the album Mm-hmm. By the way, for most people listening to this, an album <laughs> is how you listen to music. And you, they would force you to get all of these songs. Stop making us old. <laughs> uh, you, you went old? No. I was in college when this when Magic the Gathering came out. There you go. All right. So you're telling me I can't buy just the monsters. I'm out. You can't just buy the monsters. <laughs> Actually, on you D&D can, Beyond, the you can. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, problem solved, guys. There you go. <laughs> For like eight bucks, I think. Yeah. Oh, I yeah? I don't remember that. Yeah. yeah. The, you can buy just the monsters or just the player options as separate from the rest of the book. And where could you do that? D&D Beyond. On Beyond. Oh, really? That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. Even better. If you don't want all the setting stuff, but you want the options or the monsters, you can get that too. So there, there is a way of doing that. Is it okay if I wrap up the episode, guys? Let's do it. Sure. All sure. Right. So I want to th- thank all of our listeners who support the show by using the affiliate links at Amazon and DMs Guild, as well as those who support us directly at patreon.com slash the Tome Show. I want to thank all of our guests. Neil, where in the world can people find you on the internet? Um, I say go to Twitter. Uh, and my handle is Jotmoniac. That's Jack of All Trades, Master of None, IAC. And you also have a, a podcast of your own, right? You should, you should mention that. I suppose you could go and check out the Dungeon Masters block, um, and that's also on Twitter at DMS underscore block. There you go. Uh, and Quinn, where can we find you on the interwebs? Um, on besides Twitter writing at... besides writing for Watsy about magic. Yeah, you can find me writing uh, uh, for writing about magic um, at, at dailymtg.com. And then uh, you can also uh, follow me on Twitter at QH underscore Murphy. And um, and my blog, uh, thoughtcrimegames.net. There you go. Uh, Jeremiah, what about you? Well, uh, I have the very simple jeremiahmccoy.com for my blog, and I post a lot of links to my the stuff I write. Uh, they get published in other places. But also, I am on Twitter as Tech Noir. And Ishmael. Yes, so, uh, I usually found hanging around the 
Tome Show uh, Facebook, <laughs> either posting things or, or every so often uh, adding a comment here or there, but I am nominally attached to Fat Goblin Games. And about uh, and, and you're on about like two or three episodes a month, right? Yeah, yeah, the, <laughs> more, more every month. <laughs> Very good. And if you want to get a hold of me or anybody else, you can email thetomeshow at gmail.com and I will send it to, where, to who it needs to go to, but that comes to me. Uh, if you want to tweet me, I am on Twitter. I am at Squatch, S-Q-U-A-C-H. If you want to um, tell uh, Tracy how much you missed her on this episode, she is at Sarah Dark Magic. You can tweet the show. It is at The Tome Show. And this has been episode 314, where we joined a guild and were very happy, but then were swarmed by countless creatures from the sewers. In this episode of... The Tome, The Tome, The Tome, The Tome. You don't dress up to play D&D. You don't dress up to play D&D. You don't dress up to play D&D unless you want to, like me. You don't dress up to play D&D. You don't dress up to play D&D. You don't dress up to play D&D unless you want to, like me. You don't think we fancy? Let me teach you about class. Priest, fighter, rogue, catch a kick your ass. You don't think we street? Look at this table full of ice. You don't think we hard? Just touch my dice. You don't think we can get it? And the bees. I'm a pallet in the suits, but a thief in the shoes. My character shoots, cause they full of the brim. With maxed out stats, out to help with my DM. He think he in charge, we don't worry about him. Simple when he out to get us, be like Jack the Swim. Master player, traitor, master creator. Look at me, master NPC generator. Just cause she a master doesn't mean you have to hate her. Got a boy, I don't need to be no master later. I don't care if over there your character is dying, cause it's just like baseball. There's no crying. You wanna join in? Now you start realizing we're the cool, cool nerds. Call me Neil deGrasse Tyson. D to the R to the A and S. D and D. The dungeon master sets up a scenario. Then he or she asks, where would you like to go? We talk as a group, then decide together. There's no winning, yo. We could play forever. Stay right there. Let me answer your questions. I'll clear up all your misconceptions. Stay right there. Let me answer your questions. I'll clear up all your misconceptions. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to, like me. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to, like me. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to. Like me, you don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D. You don't dress up to play D and D unless you want to. Like me, I'm on the wall.